morning, Barbara. Good morning, Sav. Well, I'm super excited about our interview today. Oh my gosh, me too. And um, we are interviewing someone who used to work for. Mm-hmm. When, what, all of it. Yes. Why? <laughs> yeah. When, what, where, how, why. Um, so Bianca Oltoff and I worked together originally at the A21 campaign in mm-hmm. California. So that's how I originally met Bianca. Mm-hmm. And then we worked together for about two years doing a couple of different things. And then that second year that I was working for A21, she started her own nonprofit and then I came on board with her. And um, we traveled together to speaking engagements. I helped her with her first book, and we've had a lot of adventures together. So that's amazing. Yeah, I'm super excited to interview one of your friends yeah. from one of your many past lives. Yes, exactly. Yes. So tell us a little bit about Bianca. Okay. So I took this first description of Bianca straight from her website yeah. um, because I feel like this describes her really well. Mm-hmm. So Bianca Oltoff is a passionate, Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching, book-writing Mexican who loves to help people navigate life, connect in community, and live significantly. I love that. Bianca and her husband, Matt, pastor a church in Orange County, California, called The Father's House. She has two incredible books called Play With Fire and How to Have Your Life Not Suck. Her most recent book, How to Have Your Life Not Suck, follows the life of Ruth as a blueprint, so to speak, for how we can approach dating and relationships in our current times. Mm -hmm. And I heard you made an appearance in that book. Yeah, in the, yes, I did, in the second book, in the How to Have Your Life Not Suck. We, her and I were having dinner over Mexican food. This was when I first moved to Chicago and we were talking about dating as Bianca loves to do. And there was a guy that I was interested in at the time and we were stalking him on Facebook and Instagram and all the things to try to find out what his deal was. And there's a little part in there that tells that story. I love it. It's delightful. Yeah. Well, everyone enjoy our interview with Bianca. Yep. Thank you seriously so much for doing this. I know that we... Gave you a couple of questions, but Barb was talking about this series that you and your husband just finished that sounded so interesting. Actually, actually, Chelsea is going to be finishing the series for us. Wait, are you talking about that already? We Well, I was talking about the dating and relationships series that you guys did before, I think before quarantine. So it's probably been a month or so. Um, okay. Okay. So hand to heaven. These are the notes from the meeting that we are in. Uh-huh. So this, the series is gaining traction. We love relationships. We feel like it's so fun and people always like, it's just, it's just a win for our church. Our church is 60% single people, which is very rare for church. So our church is young and our church single. And so the series is great. And then COVID hit and we're like, we're not going to sit here and talk about like love, romance and dating when people are like sequestered in their house. <laughs> but this series, we're going to bring it back. And it's coming It's six weeks and it's called um, Summer Love. Love it. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And of course, we're going to throw a little... Justin Timberlake, Summer Love, up in there. Yes. 100%. I know, because quarantine dating would be so hard. I did see that one guy from Brooklyn who saw the girl across from his apartment building, and they went on dates, and I thought that was really darling. Yeah. Yes. I am actually an advocate of quarantine dating. There's been some, I don't I don't want to say quarantine love, but quarantine dating because, well, hashtag purity, literally. <laughs> but also the component of, like, this forces you to get to know someone without physical contact. And if you can have chemistry online, you're most likely going to have chemistry in person. And then it forces you to be romantic. So I did um, an uh, IGTV and it went really well on this idea of like postmate someone a, a meal, set up a Zoom call, like get dressed up, like do do the most. And like, 
and then have an end time because no one feels obliged if the meeting's whack or the date is whack. You yeah. just, okay, timer's up on Zoom. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and it gives people like the, uh, the cojones to say, hey, I'm going to ask somebody out. And then if they say no, you're not like publicly shamed. You know, it's just like, uh, yeah. oh. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to see them. I think sometimes a lot of people are concerned about asking someone up from church or their work office or place of employment because you have to see them all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is intimidating. Yeah. Well, B, for as long as I've known you, I feel like we've had so many conversations about dating and relationships. And I'm just curious, like, what are your current thoughts about dating, relationships, maybe even some of the stuff that you shared when you were doing the series? Like, what's been on your mind in regards to that? You know what, Barb? Okay, so I'm also going to pause and say for those that are not aware, Barb and I go way back, yep. way back when I didn't need Botox. I mean, <laughs> those days, okay? Um, and I think I nagged Barb about dating from then. No, seriously, Barb, I was thinking about it. I think we've known each other. Is it six years? Yeah, 2014 is when I moved to California. That's when I met you. Good grief. We've come a long way. We too. have. Um, yeah. So um, I would nag Barb about dating and I'm passionate about the subject of, of relationships and dating, but not just relationships and dating. I think relationships and dating in the paradigm of Christianity, because dating is a little murky, you know, just in regular aspects. But then when you put dating within the Christian confines of like church and church circles, it's this interesting ecosystem and it has all these unstated rules. And so since the Bible is like silent on dating, we are left to navigate what dating looks like and how we should treat each other. And that's why it feels confusing. And it's also disheartening. And so what I'm saying now is, so Barb and I met in 2014, so that was six years ago. And I think in the last six years, life looks totally different. My husband and I launched the church the Father's House in Orange County, California. And what I'm realizing from a pastoral perspective now is I went from just like girlfriend, hey girl, hey, talk, tell me about your dating life to hey girl, hey, how you doing? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. like the dating scene, it, the dating scene can feel frustrating and it can feel overwhelming and you kind of age out. Like it's cute when you, in high school, when you're like, I'm just dating goodbye. I'm just waiting for Princess Charmaine <laughs> to come rescue me. It's cute. It's endearing. And you like, love that. You love that decision. Then you go to college and you're navigating new waters of adulthood and relationships. And then people find out that you're like, oh, you're really only looking for like a serious relationship and you're not willing to compromise and shack up with someone. And then people are like, oh, that's, that's interesting. I mean, like, good on you. Mm-hmm. Then you get out of college and now you're a functioning adult in society and people still are talking to you like, wait a minute, so you're not actively dating and you're not sleeping around? Then you become just straight up weird. And then you are like the Steve Carell version of the 40-year-old version. <laughs> and then people are like, it's her. She has skeletons in the closet. Yeah. When the truth of the matter is, is like, no, I'm an I'm a anointed child of God and I know what I'm looking for. And there's worse things than being single. And that's like being in a relationship with the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And so with that landscape now, I am passionate about having honest conversations, not just about like dating and how to do it, but passion and sexuality, sensuality, boundaries, conflict resolution. So dating is more than just like how to ask somebody out. I think that's, that, I think Barb, to answer your question, I think we've progressed from how should I ask someone out as a single Christian female to now, how do I do this thing called life in relationship with people? And and then the older that we get, there's also these complications 
usually, like in my case, I got a 2.0. Like my husband upgraded when he married me. Mm-hmm. I am the Joel 225, the years of locusts have eaten. He got me on the second round. And you know, he, he met <laughs> the first round. So, I mean, so all that to say, Barb, there's all these like crazy pieces that go into relationships and dating. And then dating from your 20s is a different ballgame from dating in your 30s. And it is a different ballgame. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that is a very like long way of, an- of answering your question, but the game has changed. Mm-hmm. And I want to open the doors to the conversation. We create a space for men and women to have honest conversation. Because right now, I would say, again, most of the conversation, it, it feels like it's women. But the truth of the matter is, is that men have, men, very emotional beings, have feelings about it too. They have legitimate, legitimate concerns as well. Gosh, Bianca, that's so good. That's so good. Okay, Bianca, I don't know your story as well. I guess now that I'm realizing this, because how old were you when you got married to Matt? And then 29. How old? And we are approaching our 10 year wedding anniversary. Oh my gosh, you're almost 40? Good Lord. Wow. This is 40. It's not just 29, because 29, it's like that's more, it's becoming more of the average age. Now think about this. In 1950s, the average age was 21. In 1970s, the average age was 23. In 1990s, the age jumped up pretty significantly for like rate of growth to 25 and a half. Now the average age is pushing 28 and a half. Now that is one thing, but for a Latina, like you are one foot in the grave. Okay, <laughs> you're 29 and single. You should have 85 kids by 29. You know what I'm saying? So like it was like insult to injury, faux show. So yes, I didn't meet Matt until I was 28. We got married until I was 29. Um, we dated for a year. He proposed, and then five months later, we got married. Mm-hmm. So about a year now. So in like Latina culture. What is the deal with that? Like, was your mom like, what's going on? What's wrong with you? What Can was I the vibe? Firm you staff for your accent. My mom grew you up are in Puerto Rico. My mom like grew up in Puerto Rico for a certain amount of time and she's fluent in Spanish. So I do try to do my best. I was about to say, I hear it, girl. You were like looking at heart. Okay, Boricua <laughs> adoption. Okay, your, your street cred just came up in my book right now. I'll okay? take it. Yes. Good on you, sis. Good on you. You just made a red lip and then I you're just, in the family, okay? Sometimes um, I do pull that so, off. I will say this. My parents, I have really great parents. And my dad never pressured us. I never feel pressure from my immediate family. I felt pressure from, so my dad's a pastor in Los Angeles. And I don't, and it, the church is predominantly Hispanic. And so... And not only is the degree predominantly Hispanic, it's in an urban environment. And so people really aren't weren't going to college. And they definitely were not going to graduate school. And they definitely didn't have ambitions of starting an art gallery. And they didn't travel to Europe. And so <laughs> I just felt like an outsider. I told my whole life I felt like an outsider. But I think that my life trajectory in tech was just different. Now I did want to get married and I knew I was gonna go to grad school. So my life plan, I was like, I'm gonna go to college, then graduate grad school, I'll be 24, get married at 25, have kids by 26. Six and a half, 27, be done with childbearing at 30. And then I'm I'm turning 30 and I'm, you know, single. Like, so my whole lifetime was jacked. A little bit of backstory is I, like I said, my dad was pastor. I was volunteering at my church. I finished grad school. I was freelance editing and trying to do like a side hustle. And um, it felt weird because I felt like I couldn't really date any guys at church because I felt like they really wanted it just to date my dad. Like it was just layered and complicated, you know, and I look like my dad too. So that's a whole other layer (laughs) of complication. I'm basically my dad with hair. Barb, you've seen 
You've seen Papa Poncho. You know. I mean, he's a good looking man. Let's, I'll give him that. (laughs) So, um, so it was, um, it was actually my twin sister, Jasmine, who said, I think, and by the way, she followed the, she followed the Hispanic cap because she met her husband, her now husband in high school as seniors. They dated through college and then they got married shortly thereafter. So she followed more of that traditional path. And so she, at that point, she'd been married, I don't know, eight, nine years where she's like, yo, like, what's the deal? And I'm like crying and saying, it's my size, you know, Aww, just too much. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm told I'm intimidating, but I don't yeah. wear leather chaps and ride a Harley. Like, I'm not getting this. Okay? And so <laughs> right. she was like, I think that you should do eHarmony. Now, this is very common in 2020, like online dating, yeah. Bumble, Hinge, Match, Shift. Like, there's, that's very common now. But y'all, keep in mind, this was 10 years ago when Craigslist Killer was like, Right. You know, like, and, and Dateline, How to Catch a Predator was like the show that you'd watch on Friday night because you didn't have a date. Yeah. And so like all my dating felt very overwhelming. And I'm like, this is so not my cup of tea. And then she said, well, how are you going to meet someone? She's like, I said, well, if God can part the Red Sea and have manna fall from heaven, he could have someone just show up on my doorstep. And her line, Savage Jen, her line was, well, I hope you like the UPS because no one's coming to your door. <laughs> Dang. Savage. Mm. But it's truth and love, y'all. It's truth and love. That was good. And so that day, uh, we built out an eHarmony profile. And at the end of it, I cried. And I was just like, I'm not only am I dateless, I'm also dateless and desperate. Mm. And it felt like I just lost. That's what it felt like. It felt like I lost. Mm-hmm. Like somehow my, the picture that I had imagined in my head of, being swept off my feet and meeting someone in college and being sweethearts and going back to the college homecoming 20 years later with <laughs> four kids and 10 grandkids. Like I literally played that out. And so it just kind of felt like dash dreams. Mm-hmm. And um I like I called eHarmony eHarmony because <laughs> it was freaking weird. Okay. It was like all the weirdos. My wait, hold on. Barb knows this story. Except <laughs> my most compatible match. So oh, when no. you enter, you finish all your eHarmony profile, blah, 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 blah. These you your most compatible match. My most compatible match, his most notable accomplishment was 2007 Scrabble champion. <laughs> his occupation was listed as keeper of the freaking night. Oh, man. Keeper of the night. Like, <laughs> that's that? my most compatible match. And then I started crying because I'm like, it's me. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. <laughs> right, right. And so I was right. like, this is hard. So I didn't go out with anybody. I didn't, I didn't go on any dates. I didn't talk to anyone. I I chatted with one guy and then I found out that he went to this church that my dad spoke at. And I was like, oh dear God, he's going to know my dad. I totally right. freaked out and then blocked him. Okay? Oh my God. That was the extent of eHarmony until I see this brother listed 6'2", blue eyes, had his teeth, had his master's. I was just like, who is this unicorn? You know, mm-hmm. except eHarmony listed him as a flexible match. And so I went through his profile and a flexible match at the time indicated that there was something, you're very compatible, but there's something in their profile that you said that you didn't want. And I said, I didn't want someone who's divorced. I didn't want someone who had kids and I didn't want someone who did drugs. And Matt had two out of the three. But honestly, the one guy that was there, and this is where I believe, so so I was really embarrassed to tell people that we met online. And so when people are asking, like, how did you guys meet? I'd be like, a mutual friend. I didn't tell him the mutual friend was Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got, then I got real creative. I'm like a matchmaker. My oh yes, my gosh, <laughs> we've we hired a personal matchmaker. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that is the backstory of my very complicated 
enmeshed, tangled love life. Oh, that is beautiful. Oh my gosh. One thing that stands out to me, B, is just that as you are navigating singleness and as you are even setting up that eHarmony profile, those questions of, you know, what's wrong with me? Like is, and I think those are a lot of the messages that can be really painful as you're navigating dating and singleness as you start to look introspectively in like a, in like a damaging way, like there must be something wrong with me. Like, is my appearance, like, do I need to change that? Do I need to reinvent myself in all of these different ways? So what would you say is the balance between like working on yourself, um, looking introspectively in a healthy way while also not going to this place of there must be something inherently wrong with me as to why I can't find someone? Barb, you are incredibly wise. And I think that's why you are a great therapist. Mm -hmm. So I love how you even framed that question because I think that the pendulum swings really wide. And I think that we have conversations with people where we're like, oh, you don't have to change anything. But the truth of the matter is, is maybe you should start glossing. You know, (laughs) maybe you should wash your clothes. Like, let's be honest. Like, like, I think that we can have these honest conversations about, honestly, where we can just do like an assessment. And, and this is where I feel like community and friends are super important. At the same time, you have to be so careful who you're opening up your heart to and your, and your vulnerability to, because there is already so many negative messaging from the world that's telling us you're too big, you're too much, you're too thin, you're too tall, you're too dumb, you're too smart, you're uneducated, you're overeducated. You know, you're strong, you're weak. And, and and so if we're not careful, there are so many voices that we're hearing. And then there's also the, not necessarily the voices of public opinion, but voices of marketing mm. and voices that we tell ourselves as we look at the emaciated model, as we look at the voluptuous singer and we think like, I don't even know what I should be anymore. Mm. And so one of the exercises that I felt like super valuable and I, I was already dating. I was already dating that when I did this, but I love to encourage people like, how do I do like, like I said, honest self-assessment. So I talk about something, um, a BDS, a viable dating score, where I take an assessment of like your emotional health, your physical health your financial health and your relational health. Mm. And so this is something that like, I was, like I said, I was already married, but I just can't kind of created a grid of self-awareness. And so I asked my friends, I was, I think I was married probably like two years at this point, but I asked my friends on a scale of one to 10, what would you rate me on emotional stability? Wow. Now I know, and it's not just, oh, because I'm Latina. Like, I know that I'm a very emotive person. Mm. I am an emotional person. I know that. What I didn't know is if 10 was sturdy, solid, and controlled their emotions while being vulnerable and aware, and one is like you live under a rock and you're completely unaware, the combined score was the 2.5. They gave me a 2.5. Oh, no. <laughs> Given myself a sit. Okay? So, you guys, I have been on this 10-year journey mm-hmm. through counseling, the reading and resources. And I'm proud to say, I still ain't a 10. My husband could a 10. Like, I can lose my ever loving mind in a nanosecond. Like I can go from hood to holy in like nanoseconds, from righteous to ratchet. Like, I mean, it, it, I'm ashamed to say that, but I will say that just being aware of where I am Based on other people. Now, I didn't go to my neighbor. I didn't go to the mm. hater. I didn't go to a therapist. 
I'm looking for people who are doing life with me. Yeah. I didn't go to my boss where I'm showing up and trying to be on and polished. No, no, no. My friends, our friends, our closest friends, if they truly love us, they're going to give you a real assessment. Then I also do that financially. Like one thing I am very proud of is that like I came into marriage not in debt. I think I maybe had like, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks on a credit card or something like that. Nothing, nothing really, really big. At the same time, I was always very proud of, I'm financially responsible. I have no debt. Then I got married and I realized for what I, I moved back home. It's a long story. My mom had brain cancer or whatever. So I moved back home and I didn't pay rent. Um, I didn't, I had like nominal college debt. I didn't have a whole lot of credit cards, but y'all, I bought a convertible BMW. <laughs> I traveled to Europe. I had great handbags. And what I realized is I felt a sense of pride of, wow, look at how financially responsible I am, but I have nothing to show for the six years that I didn't pay rent. And when I tabulated the money, y'all, I could have had $25,000 saved in the bank if I just would have been wise. And so even giving myself a very realistic score of where I was financially. So I give the VDS, I think is a great gauge. Am I ready to be in relationship? And don't do the VDS alone because mm. you're always going to score yourself higher. Yeah. I am fabulous. No one else can do this. <laughs> but, and you have people weigh in and you're like, oh, maybe I'm not that fabulous. So I would say a great self-assessment will allow you to realize, I don't want to listen to the voices of the world. I also want to be very self-aware of who I am in this season. Am I ready to date? So yeah. I think those are bigger questions than why am I being chosen? Why am I not being chosen? That's so good because then you're working on yourself and working on you. It reminds me of something Andy Stanley did during a dating thing, a dating series like from 10 years ago that my husband actually loved. And his whole phrase was, be the person you're looking for is looking for. So like you want to be the person that you hope to find, but also the person that that person wants to find. And so it's just like working hard in that way. Okay. So going back to the 2.5 and the emotion, did that not make you pissed at your friends? Oh, girl, clearly I'm a 2.5 because I was like, how do you not know me? You don't know me. How can you say that? Okay. And and you know that moment where you're trying to be cool and you're trying to be like, oh, your words didn't affect me. And then all of a sudden your voice becomes like a sheet. Yeah, it was one of those moments. It was absolutely one of those moments. Yeah. Gosh, well, good for them for being honest though. Cause I'm pretty sure if you came and asked me stuff, I would not honestly assess you. I would be like, you're a 10. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Barb, I would honestly assess you. Okay. So if you want truth, I got you. Girl. All gonna- right. Maybe off air. <laughs> yeah. Off air. Let's rate Barb now. All right. <laughs> We're oh my gosh. Well, because to me, Barb is a 10. And I think that sometimes I'm just like, with like people, even if I know that they have blind spots, I think I'm so quick to, this is challenging me in a good way. I'm so quick to say, oh, well, I have all these blind spots too. And I don't want it to come off as like judgy or whatever. But I think that what's good is that you're actually saying invite people in and not like saying like people go criticize your friends, but instead it's saying invite people into this with a humble heart and know that your people are going to show up for you in love and in safety because they're for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a great like caveat because if you ask one person, you might go to the nicest of your friends. Yeah. <laughs> we all have that savage friend mm-hmm. where it's just like, so in our friend group, it's my twin sister. Her name is Jasmine. And she literally has a hashtag in our text stream. It's hashtag mean Jasmine because <laughs> Jasmine is straight mean. She's savage Jasmine, but you want to know something? What you get with Jasmine is always the truth. 100%. Yes. 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 Oh, that's so good. Okay. So you were getting rated when you were married. 
and you told us two of those ratings. What were some steps that you took? Like you said emotionally, but let's say financially, physically, whatever the other ones were. Like what are some steps that you took to proactively work on yourself in those ways? Now that you are already married, like it's still beneficial to still do your work. You know, this, I'm, I'm going to give you what I wish I would have did. Okay, right? let's do what you wish. more advantageous to the conversation because I didn't do a whole lot right. Okay. In fact, I got on birth control before I, we got married and my loving fiance had to be like, I don't know who you are, but I think you're Satan. <laughs> I would rather have you get knocked up on the honeymoon. Get off of this. Because I was, you guys, I was like, you know that Foster Farms commercial with the ratchet chickens that's like hairs pulling out and it's kind of crazy? That was me pumped with hormones. Okay, okay, okay. Like, uh, 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 uh. Again, this goes back to, you guys, I am an emotional advocate. So if you add hormones to it, I'm like... I'm, I'm talking to myself. Can I hear one? Because I know what we're thinking. <laughs> Not normal. So, so I'm going to tell you what I wish. I I'm into it. Done. Yes. Um, I will give you one thing that I did do. And then I'm going to give you two or three things that I wish I would have done. So the one thing that I did do is, and this was advice given to me from a friend. She said, hey, I want you to grab a journal and I want you to write down everything you love about Max. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when we were engaged. I want you to write down everything you love about Matt. And then every time that he does something great, I want you to write that down. And I'm like, oh, okay, what, why am I doing this? And she said, because there's going to be a moment where you're going to ask yourself, why the hell is that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's great for you. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> it was honest, honestly, God, like Matt and I, like we kind of like tiffed when we were like dating, but we only saw each other once a week. I lived in LA, mm-hmm. he lived in Orange County. And so when we did see each other, we didn't want to waste time and squabble. Mm -hmm. So by and large, our relationship was like fun. We played games. We went out to eat. Like, it was was just, it just wasn't normal life. Mm -hmm. So then when we get married and we start to have conflict, I was like, I literally married the wrong person. Mm -hmm. Like I had a conversation with my father about a nobleman. Mm -hmm. Y'all, it was a bad season. Mm -hmm. And yet I went back to this journal Mm -hmm. and I was able to look at all the reasons why I did say yes. Mm-hmm. In fact, I still have that journal. I, just, I literally, before this meeting, I put it in my credenza in my office. Like I mm-hmm. still have journals from 10 years ago. And um, so that was one thing that I did that I loved. Um, one thing that I wish I would have done is I wish I would have gone to personal counseling before I got married. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I grew up in, so in Hispanic culture, counseling is kind of just for, for crazy people. You know, like you only need it when you're in an all white building and in a insane <laughs> asylum and like a strap suit. Right. And so um, when my husband and I were going through our conflict when we, when we first got married, you know, when I say the first two years of marriage were hard, like they were really freaking hard. And so um, he said, I think we should go to counseling and there was shame and embarrassment mm-hmm. around it because I did everything right. This is not the story of the good girl who married wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we started going to counseling. And what I realized in marriage counseling was how unaware I was as an individual. So an unaware individual getting into a relationship with another individual, and we're always going to have levels that we're unaware. So two unaware people trying to figure out each other, it was just no bueno. And mm-hmm. so um, I wish I would have done individual counseling. So we did premarital like they called it counseling. It wasn't. It was like through a church, you know, right? We did that. <laughs> I wish I would have done stuff individually to figure out how like truly fat, trash, crazy I am. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also, um, I think I would have really um, fought for being honest mm-hmm. in my relationship. Mm-hmm. So my closest friends 
I still think, and this is embarrassing because my closest friends, we've been best friends since high school. Mm-hmm. Like I literally, they're texting me as I'm in this interview with you guys mm-hmm. every single day. Um, my best friends from high school that I've been best friends with for years now, they, I still don't even think, maybe one or two of them know the depth mm-hmm. of the drama that mm-hmm. I was going through. Mm-hmm. But I had put on 15 pounds in that first year of marriage. It was hard. Not only did I became, become a wife, I moved to churches and communities. I became an instant dead mom. Yeah. And not like, oh, we got the kids once every 10 days for lunch. No, they were with us 50-50, like Monday to Monday, full on, waking up, lunches, discipline, game time, mm-hmm. homework, mm-hmm. cooking. Like it was a massive culture shock. And then coupled that with the fact that I started working for an anti-human trafficking organization. Mm-hmm. So talk about the post-traumatic stress disorder that you're bringing home with you every day. It was, it was a cluster. Yeah. It was a cluster. And so I wish that I just would have been honest with my community because I just kept everything in that. Yeah. Was the pressure there that you felt like you couldn't let them know that you didn't have it all together? Or was the pressure... Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because again, this goes back to the the lie that as a good Christian girl who did everything right, I equated doing right equals rewards with perfection. A perfect oh, marriage and perfect kids and the perfect life and a perfect home and a perfect job. Mm. And at life was anything but perfect. And mm. I didn't know how to talk about it. So I didn't. I yeah. stuck it down. And um, I think that was also a huge contributing factor to our marital strife. Yeah. Wow. You know, what's so interesting too is that I think there can be shame when you're single and trying to find a partner. And then there's also shame when you found a partner and you feel like, wait, I... I followed the equation and I'm not getting the result that I thought I was going to get and to feel shame on that end too. Shame sucks. Yeah. Yes. Just, <laughs> that's, yes. That's the motto of today's story. Yeah. So I noticed one more thing and we're going to wrap up after with a question that we ask everyone, but something I've been noticing in the thread of your story is that sometimes or some phrases that you used had a lot to do with disappointment. So this idea of like, oh, I've done all this stuff right, and then you're kind of like disappointed with the results, or like, I thought that if I did X, Y, and Z, I would be married by this time, or, you know, whatever, I would be at this point with my career. And I think disappointment is something that everyone can really experience. So when you think about disappointment in your own life, what have been some ways that you've coped with that and worked through that? Whether it be like when you got married to Matt and you're like, oh crap, this has been two years of total... (laughs) cluster. Right. I would say I'll give, um, I'm going to give like what the unhealthy Bianca deal, how the unhealthy version of Bianca deals with disappointment and then the healthy desirous version that I want to be. And I want to say that this is fully conquered and I'm this mature and growing woman, but still triggers for me today is, um, I have always used food has been so intertwined with my story and shame and um, addiction. And so unhealthy Bianca would turn to food and secrecy. And it's, that's what I'm recently discovering is um, the enemy literally would use it as a stronghold over my life Mm -hmm. and not just a stronghold, but a chokehold. Unhealthy choices of disappointment is like hiding and finding coping mechanisms that are unhealthy. But healthy Bianca in dealing with disappointment is realizing, and this is, oh, for the sake of sounding cliche, I'm now a pastor and I cannot help but think of everything in the context of God's living word is that like, um, I firmly believe in the aspect of providence, that God is a good and sovereign God who is over all from the, the sunrise to the sunset, from the waves crashing into the tide pulling out, from the good and from the bad and from the happy and the sad, from the sickness 
and the complete health. Like he is over everything. And if he's over everything, then he's going to orchestrate even the crappy, bad, sad, broken parts of our life to put together something beautiful. Mm -hmm. My background is in art. And one of my favorite aspects of like the art training side was mosaics and also um, these uh, broken shard pieces. There's assemblage, whatever. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Those are my favorite assignments because you would take these abstract pieces and yet you would put things that didn't look like they go together. And yet with grit, and with grout, you pull it together to comprise something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And what I can look back in the middle of it, it's never good. Never good. When I was going through the drama with Matt in the beginning of marriage, never good. But I look back now, even like marriage doesn't get easier, right? But you figure out how to do it. And so even now when we have conflict or pain or tension or relationship, resolution Mm -hmm. as I can look back and I'm so excited to get to September. I'm so excited to renew our vows. I'm so excited because I can look back and like, wow, we've made something very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's beautiful is because it's broken pieces put back together. Mm -hmm. It's very clear that love is the bond of perfection. And I feel like even though we're broken, we always come back to this sense of love. Ultimately, it's Christ's love for us, but it's love for one another. And my phrase in this season, when I look at him, like, Matthew, I hate that I love you. Like, I hate that I love you because I want to be upset with you, but I love you so much. And I come back to this understanding, you're my person Mm -hmm. and I love you and I choose you. Mm -hmm. And so I would say kind of in dealing with disappointment, it's looking for healthy ways in this belief that God is going to redeem this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense. And this is, Mm -hmm. but God's going to redeem this. And it's going to be a better story in the end. Dang, that's so good. So good, Bianca. Gosh, there's so many things I love about you, B. And one of the things that I love the most is just how how honest you are about the things that you've experienced, um, and you're not uh, you're not apologetic about sharing them. And I think people can connect with just your story and what you've experienced, but you always couple your honesty with this like eternal perspective, this redemptive understanding of how God works in people's lives. And I think just that coupling together of like, hey, like I'm a real person with real struggles and I'm going to take the risk and be honest about it. And that you can have a relationship with a God that knows how to redeem broken things. And that's why your voice is so important. And there's one last question that we want to ask. And I feel like you kind of started to dabble into it a little bit Mm -hmm. with that last response, but our podcast is called the Pep Talks Podcast. And we always ask the people that are on the show with us, if you were to give yourself a pep talk at, let's say, 20 years old, what would you want to tell your 20-year-old self? I was always wanting 20-year-old self. The power isn't in winning. The power is in getting back up. Mm-hmm. And to the victor goes the spoils when you just show up. And I, I wish I would have, I, I feel like I would have saved myself so much unhealthy disappointment and expectations and just feeling like, oh, I lost this. Therefore, I'm a loser. I can stand back now. And it's not even a pep talk talk I would give my 20-year-old self. I'll give him a 39-year-old self. (laughs) I'm like, give up your old windbag. (laughs) Some years to you. And you want to know something? You you get victory when you just show up. Mm -hmm. You just show up. And you want to know something? Along the way, you look, you're going to look around and, and, and you know what? I actually, I actually picked up this principle from Christine Kane. Both Barb and I worked um, at A21 and Christine Kane's the founder. And I never understood this principle, but she would always say, you know, when you start out, you looked around and you realized that you are definitely not the most qualified. Like there's cooler, prettier, smarter, more influential people. 
And then you get 10, 20, 30 years down the road and you realize I'm still here and they're not. And it's not because you were cooler, smarter, thinner, faster, more popular. It's that you didn't give up. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing about Bianca Wattis Ulta, is that this old girl, she don't give up. Yes. <laughs> all that I got working in my favor, y'all. Mm-hmm. I wish I was baller. I wish I was taller. I wish I was richer. <laughs> I wish I was more educated. Mm-hmm. But I just... I refuse to give up. Uh, well, we've loved having you, Bianca. Thank you for spending your time with us. Robert Hill, I love you. Dad, you're a new friend. Thank you so much for doing this podcast, guys. Yes, you are amazing. Well, if you have not been told yet today, we believe in you. Then you have what it takes. Thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at the Pep Talks Podcast. And we want to be clear, everything that we're sharing on this podcast is not or intended to be therapy or psychological advice. It does not constitute a client-therapist relationship. We are your virtual friends, not therapists. Yes. So if anything comes up for you during these podcasts, we completely understand. We're talking about a lot of different topics. So please consult a mental health provider for support. You can find a therapist through Psychology Today's website at www.psychologytoday.com. Yep. Have a great week, guys.